This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you had a good, as good a weekend as possible. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way. Uh, hopefully the voice of reason and sanity uh, in a world that's gone crazy. Uh, we're going to have Congressman Louis Gohmert on at the bottom of the hour. Tell us about what's happening in Texas. The mayor of Houston might start shutting that city down again. They're concerned about the number of cases. I am not. It's called opening up. There's going to be risks. We all know about it. While well, scientists try to get a cure try to get a vaccine, we have to live our lives. And that goes for Mayor Cuomo, too, excuse me, Governor Cuomo, too, who disagrees with the mayor because the governor says we have all-time lows in terms of cases and deaths. But if I see anyone having a good time in the Hamptons outside too close to each other or in downtown New York, I'm going to slow it down and reverse it. No, you're not. We're done. We are not doing this again. Uh, We'll talk about all that as well as the latest horrific story with law enforcement and uh, and would be uh, another shooting in Atlanta uh, that riled the streets again Saturday and Sunday. We'll bring you this case. Most of it all is caught on camera from various different angles, and there's various outrage across America. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The big question I have is, what was the serious offense of, of Victor Shokin. Why did the U.S. government come to the conclusion that he had to be fired and that resulted in a very serious threat on the part of Vice President Biden? It doesn't make any sense. And either does it for the current president of Ukraine. Presidential politics. Guess who's got an emerging Ukraine problem? It is Joe Biden. The Democratic nominee also has a running mate issue and four finalists, one of which got to eliminate herself because although she is an African-American woman, She's also with law enforcement. Evidently, that is a bad thing. And what the Trump team will do as they begin to roll out their attack on Sleepy Joe. Number two. Nobody is going to defund the police. We can restructure the police forces. So I wouldn't say defund, deconstruct our policing. Yeah, James Clyburn, you make a lot of sense. But so many other Democrats do not. Defunding and defunding the police, supporting autonomous zones. Both issues are Democratic driven and causing a Democratic divide. We'll bring you uh, the latest in the 2020 version of Occupy Wall Street. Number one. There was no threat to this officer's life. There was no life extenuating circumstances. Mr. Brooks, he didn't just resist a lawful arrest. He did so violently. That is a completely different set of circumstances. And there there lies the rub. Al Sharpton, no danger. Mark Morgan, former cop turned Border Patrol guy, big danger. 
Top America's agenda, police reform. Legislation taking shape. As another police shooting and killing, this time in Atlanta, it ignites the debate and ignites the Wendy's where this all took place. So let's break it down and then we'll look to move on because I don't want to dwell on this all day. I also want to take your phone calls at 1-866-408-7669. So here's what happened late Saturday night. Uh, Wendy's uh, could not get a guy out of the drive-thru lane. He had fallen asleep and he was not moving. So they called the cops. The cops showed up and talked to Rayshard Brooks. Rayshard was kind of quiet for about a half hour. He failed the uh, reportedly failed the DUI test. So they went to lock him up, and that's when things went off the charts. Uh, he wrestled with two officers, was able to take the stun gun from one of the officers while running away, reached back, and shot the officer. The officer switched from stun gun to real gun and shot him dead. He died later. Now... Should you ever shoot someone in the back? If you're a police officer, no. But the Fulton County District Attorney Paul Howard said on Sunday the decision about filing charges against Garrett Rolfe, who shot Richard Brooks, would be made by the office around Wednesday. Uh, They did say it is a homicide. You do wonder if this could have been solved differently, but I am not a cop. I'm not arrogant enough to think I would know the right thing to do. I have not gone through the academy. I've done some ride-alongs, but that's it. But according to Al Sharpton, this was not a threat. Therefore, the shot should not have been fired. Cut nine. It is beyond me to even begin to uh, fathom why police would take out his gun and shoot at somebody in the back that's fleeing. Yes, the man was inebriated. Yes, the man had resisted and got into a verbal confrontation and even taken one of the stun guns. But there was no threat to this officer's life. There was no life extenuating circumstances, which is what is required to use fatal fire. And the man was fleeing. You don't shoot a fleeing felon. Listen, Georgia law states that officers may use, and I read this right, I haven't memorized this. Georgia law states that officers may use deadly force if they reasonably believe a felony suspect has a deadly weapon and poses immediate threat of physical violence. So, If he has a stun gun and he holds that stun gun trigger, it will immobilize you. You have a gun on you. you got to think, obviously, because the officer used a gun, that they could do that and turn it on the officer, potentially. That's what Mark Morgan thinks. Cut 10. Mr. Brooks, he didn't just resist a lawful arrest. He did so violently. He fought with the police again and again. He took their weapon, one of their weapons, and tried to use it against him. That is a completely different set of circumstances. So that's a little bit different. Now, uh, the mayor fired the police chief and the officer. Cut three. This was not confrontational. This was a guy that you were rooting for. And even knowing the end, watching it, you're going, just let him go. Just let him go. Let him call somebody to pick him up. Number one, you can't let a DUI person go. Call someone to pick him up. Those are the 1970s. Uh, We all wish that if you drank too much, someone could come and pick you up. Nobody thinks you should have been shot. But now you're going to let DUIs go and you're the mayor of law and order. These are these liberal mayors in Minneapolis and in uh, Seattle and now in Atlanta. Let her go. Let someone come pick her up. Yeah, we would prefer that being shot. 
but nobody gets away with DUI in America. That's part of the reason why they did such a great job. U.S. Mothers Against Drug Driving did such a great job knocking that down, where DUI wasn't as much greater threat than it was uh, in the 1970s. It was commonplace. They would take your keys, leave you on the, leave you on the side of the road, tell you to walk home. Now uh, they lock you up for that. And I guess as a deterrent, it's been effective. So where do we go from here? We have another incident, puts more people in the streets. I worry about this law enforcement officer now being rushed to judgment to avoid riots in the streets, to avoid major cities being uh, burnt again. Number one, we're ready for it now as a city. Don't let it happen. Number two, this guy, he's on the job. He tried to do things right. Obviously, what he did at the end cost a man his life, and they're going to evaluate that. But he deserves not to be emotionally put into jail because everyone is uh, on fire because of what happened in Minneapolis two weeks ago. He deserves his chance, uh, and he deserves his defense. So let's move on and talk about the reform as we know it. Here's what they're saying should be happening. On the Republican side, they are proposing a few things, and the, and the, along with uh, the proposal on a, a few different reforms, they're talking about what's not going to happen. Number one, what's not going to happen is they're not going to have this immunity uh, relieved on all officers. So everybody that doesn't like you is upset that you just have a, a parking ticket, could say that you hurt them, you were running, you're running away from them and you pulled a hamstring. Next thing you know, these individual cops are going to be sued. There's no way that's going to happen. So that's uh, not going to pass the Republican side. In terms of defunding the police, that's not going to happen either. Although with the autonomous zones, with Elon Omar, with Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, all playing key roles with Joe Biden's campaign, you can't just flat out dismiss it as not a possibility because it could very well be a possibility because uh, they have his ear. The GOP is, expand, is, is pr- proposing expanding sharing of officers involved in violence. So if officer and a badge number and a name is involved in a lot of violent acts, they want to make that public. Now, as Ray Kelly told us on television today, that was public until about five years ago. So that's not going to be a big deal. Focus is going to be on basic things like transparency and police records, the no chokeholds, which have been banned. They're going to make sure that everybody's wearing a body camera and they all work. And all that video is going to be available. Democrats want much more. And we'll see where that goes. I think something's going to get passed. I think they're going to have to do things the old-fashioned way. They're going to have to actually negotiate. So that'll be something I look forward to. one 408 7669 My fear is law enforcement won't be on the table. My fear is that people who are at the table from law enforcement will be politicized. So therefore you have cover, but you actually don't have the situation analyzed. What I find disgusting and intolerable is what's happening in Seattle. They have seven blocks under their control. They're building gardens. They're policing themselves. Uh, they're fighting. We see that. Uh, now they're being portrayed as uh, freedom fighters and revolutionaries in a positive way by the local media. And this is going to become somewhat commonplace. And that's my fear. It was pushed back in Portland. It was pushed back in Nashville. It was pushed back in Eugene, Oregon. But I wonder if this is going to be something as organized as we've seen Antifa in the past. And we'll discuss that with you. Between the defunding police and half the Democratic Party not buying in, the other half doing it. Between the autonomous zones, Democrats are not saying a word about it. 
Republicans are outraged. You know why they're not saying a word? Because these are Democratic mayors that are losing control of their own city. These are Democratic-run states that are losing control of their own police force. They're on separate pages. It's really hard to blame Donald Trump for that, but we'll tell you how they're trying. one 408 7669 back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Who investigates crimes? Who arrests criminals? What what happens? So Minneapolis unanimously just voted on a resolution that will engage uh, the community uh, on a one-year process of what happens as we go through the process of dismantling the department and starting anew. A new way forward can't be... Uh, put in place if we have a department that is having a crisis of credibility. You can't really reform um, a department that that is rotten to, to the root. What you can do is rebuild. So how do you feel if you're a police officer in Minneapolis about a, a congresswoman who says your police force is rotten to the root? Maybe that's why seven have quit already. You're not paying them a ton of money. And now, look, obviously, Derek Chauvin's a problem. The people around him are a problem, except for the guy that started on his first day. I hard to believe that he has a trend there. But think about this. Anyone who says, well, uh, defunding the police, that's just Donald Trump trying to make, uh, make a cartoon out of this to beat Joe Biden. No, that's Elon Omar, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. That's everybody in the autonomous zone in Seattle. Missy, listening online in West Virginia. Missy. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I wanted to point something out because the first thing that the attorney said was this use of force was not justified, and I'm going to explain to you exactly why it is. The taser that they use, it it appears to be the same one that our department used, but I'm not 100% certain about that. If it is, it has two sets of darts that 
that you can shoot. Once those darts are expelled, that taser can still be used in what's called drive-stun, like drive a a car, because you can drive it into somebody's skin, pull the trigger, and it still has the same effect as the darts that are the projectiles. The fact that he had that and took it, once those two sets of darts were, were gone, he can still use that against that officer. It still incapacitates. That officer at that point can't go hands-on with him as long as he has possession of that weapon. Because he could be rendered at the, incapacitated that's a great point. and his gun could be taken off of him. That's why the use but of Missy, force... But Missy, what would you have done? Exactly what, would you have what done? he did. And here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem. He drank. He drove. He's intoxicated. The probable cause is on that video. There's a reason why he didn't want to go to jail. Here's the thing that people don't understand. Cops' main mission is to enforce laws and to go home at the end of the night. And when someone is fighting you because you're the person who stands between their freedom and jail, they will kill you. And for the cop, it's not personal. It's not racial. They want to go home to their family. Crime does not have a color, and the enforcement of it is not racist. So let's stop making it that way. Well, I would say this. This is the strongest case. They say if, if you, you already have his car, you already have his ID, you already ran it, so let him go. You'll get him later. How do you feel about that? Okay. We're, we're going to make another scenario out of that. Somebody's breaking into your house with a knife, and they're going to attack you and possibly kill you, and you call the police, and we say, just let him go. We'll catch him later. We do not let criminals go. We enforce the laws. When a crime occurs in front of you, you detect it, you deter it, and you detain for it. That's not what the badge says. That's not the oath that we took. We don't let criminals who commit a crime in front of us walk away and go home because you feel like they should. That's not what happened. That mayor, great point, Missy. And that, that mayor said, why don't you just let him go? Yeah, just get him another ride home. Can you imagine that? Which is 1971. That's how we used to look at DUI. That's why people were dying every day in these car crashes. Uh, I've never, I've never heard a mayor say, "Just let him go." Uh, thanks, Chris. Listen on News 96.5 in Orlando. Chris. Hey Brian. Good morning. Uh, I just had a point What's on, on uh, just thinking about, um, you know, everyone's talking about we need to watch what the police are doing, seeing that they're doing the right thing, the right job. But no one's saying that the people need to know the law. You know, if there's a law, everyone on both sides needs to know the law. And I think if everyone knows the law, a lot of cases will be, you know, won't go this way or keep being violent. And, and you know, so are you talking about Minneapolis so or are you talking about Atlanta? I'm talking about in general. You know, if, if everyone knows the law and police are there to enforce the law, then people will be, you know, okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Let me go with this. And, but you know, and drinking and driving, and but you know, like for example, uh, the story with George Floyd. He had fentanyl. Passed a, passed a phony twenty. That's the premise of the overreaction and the horrible display we all saw. But he broke the law. He knew that. This guy knew drinking and driving is a problem. We all know that. Going to a Wendy's parking lot to a drive-through, falling asleep, and refusing to comply. That's something else. You also know that if someone's going to say you're under arrest and has been treating you politely, you also know you shouldn't run, right? Exactly. I mean, 
but you know, putting cameras on everybody, all these programs, everything they want to implement costs money, right? Let, why, what about a program yeah. that 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 people are available to the law and know all the law? A lot of people who get in trouble and get arrested, they call a lawyer because they don't know the law, and then they hope that the lawyer can get them out of the situation. All right. I appreciate that. You know, that's part of the reform. People can be more educated. But the problem is in these situations, there's no nuance. This is obvious. Uh, You know, it's obvious that George Floyd should still be alive. It's obvious that you don't pass a phony 20. It's, It's obvious you don't take fentanyl. You know, it's obvious you don't drink and drive. But when it comes to the nuance of it, if you go in like, let's say, 85 and a 50, and it could, you could end up in jail if you caught going that many miles over the speed limit, that's a problem. That I get. Listen, I'm going to talk to Louis Gohmert about this pandemic. Uh, in about 20 states, the numbers are going up. In about 20 others, it's going down. In about an eight is flat. One of which it's going up is Texas. I want to get Congressman Gohmert on that, law enforcement, and so much more. And then we'll go back to your call. So stay in line. one 408 Thanks for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to The Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think that what we have here today is we not we're not sure what's happening. Uh, we have 22 states where we have cases increasing, eight where it's level, and 21 states where it's decreasing. And I think that what we're really talking about here now is uh, what does reopening do? What did the protests do? And we just have to be humble and say we we're not we're in an unsure moment right now. What's happening in this country? And right now, the number of people in Texas hospitalized from the coronavirus hit a record high, 2,287 on Sunday, an increase from the previous record of 2,242 on Saturday. The state has continued to move forward with its reopening plan. Restaurants are being allowed to now to increase to 75% capacity. Almost all businesses allowed to operate with 50% capacity on Friday. And predictably, uh, Texas is one of the lowest uh, for uh, unemployment, one of the lowest unemployments. Uh, in the country because they have a strong economy and they're the quickest to come back and one of the uh, slowest to shut down. With me right now is Texas Congressman Louis Gohmert. Congressman, are you concerned about these numbers? And if so, what would you do about it? Well, you have to be concerned when the numbers are increasing. um, But you also have to be concerned about uh, you know the shutdown and and the adverse effect it has had on people's lives and uh, I, I just lost my aunt and it wasn't to COVID but uh, the treatment is really affected when uh, the loved ones can't get into the hospital to see the ones they care about to to make decisions and what should be done. And it's got a, there is a feeling of hopelessness when someone's in the hospital and the people they love can't even get in there to see them. I'm hearing from nursing home directors that are saying, you know, it is just 
is so tragic every day to see seniors weeping because they can't see their loved ones. Uh, they're not allowed in. Well, that's the place, as as we know from New York and and the the governor and the mayor sending people in with uh, with COVID into nursing homes. That that was just really nuts. Uh, but still. We we need to protect our seniors, the most vulnerable. Uh, but but there are consequences to what has been happening. But sure, Brian, we're concerned. Anytime numbers go up, if you uh, look in the state of Texas, the biggest uh, problem in the state is in Houston. It appears they uh, between Houston and Dallas, the uh, 31,000 of the 89,000 cases in a, in a state with 254 counties, uh, those are, you know, big problem areas. But you combine Dallas-Fort Worth area, you're looking at about 31,000 with Houston, about 31,000 of our 89,000 cases. In East Texas, the biggest problem counties are right on the border with Louisiana. As you know, Louisiana just is overwhelmed with COVID. But, uh, you know, we got to be smart about it. But we... I can't help but think that this is the first time in American history that our our economy has been so shut down is not because we hadn't had pandemics. As you know, the Spanish flu you talked about uh, previously, it, it, you know, there were many times the number of deaths in the Spanish flu in 1918. Uh and even the Hong Kong flu back in 68, 69, we had over 100,000. But I can't help but think that this is the first time we've had a total economic shutdown is because this is the first time in American history when people were so miseducated as to freedom that this is the first time in American history where they'd been uh, well, uh, willing to. The president said, yeah, yeah, well, Louis. Yeah. But but the president said he had no choice uh, because of what he's been told. No, but now that we see the scientists backtracking right. on the surface, uh, he said no, they're backtracking not... on, can you pick it up from a surface? They say, can you backtrack? Yeah. Uh, should we wear masks? Yeah. Now we shouldn't. And they say, if you're asymptomatic, don't worry about it. And then they say, worry about it. I have never had less faith in the scientific community than I do right now. Because what they're yeah. not talking about is the economic, the, the, the problems that people are going to have emotionally and financially if you're one of the 40 million that lost your job through no fault of your own. Jobs that may never yep. come back. And I get yep. the sense that in these Democratic states, they just don't mind until Election Day where they're convinced Joe Biden's going to win. Yep. No, I couldn't agree more. And President Trump did not have any choice with all that was before him. Uh, I, I don't think he had a choice, but but uh, you know, for the scientific community, as you said, Fauci and these others. I mean, how many times has he been on both sides of an issue, back and forth, back and forth? It's just crazy, and people's lives are destroyed, and, and literally because of the bad advice. You know, it can't he can't be right both times when he's on both sides of an issue. Yes, you wear no, don't wear a mask. Yes, wear a mask. Uh, you know, all these different things that he he said, uh, and then not to come out and condemn 
the protests and and uh, the people not socially distancing more than he has uh that's, that's right. pretty ridiculous but uh, and and you know I was with president trump and, and you know what, I want to bring you to this he's not yeah. the only one not only Fauci I'm looking at the governor who's getting for uh, up until recently he was getting nothing but accolades for his handling of the coronavirus, even though the numbers are through the roof. He basically put these nursing rooms on death, signed their death certificate by putting the infected patients yep. back in these nursing homes. Yep. Listen to Governor Cuomo. First, he says, congratulations. You have record low number of deaths. You've bent the curve. You've done everything we wanted. And then comes out and says this, cut 52. I am warning today in a nice way, consequences of your actions. We have... 25,000 complaints statewide. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to them. If we have to close, then people are going to hold you accountable. I'm going to reverse it in those areas that are not in compliance with the rules. And I'm going to reverse it in those areas where those local governments did not comply with the law. After 115 days... These people went outside and had a couple of drinks a few feet from each other. Maybe not all had masks. He told us 15, then 30. Now, after 120, he's going to he's going to punish us because he's a little upset in the Hamptons and New York City. What is wrong with him? At the same time, credit the protesters for destroying the city in the most affluent districts in the country and saying, do yourselves a favor, get a test the next day while yelling at people because they want to go outside on a sunny day. What country are we in? Well, that's what uh, Professor Jacobson is getting crucified for, because he's pointed out the slogan, silence is violence, is as totalitarian as you can get. That's the old Soviet Union mantra. You know, you, you it wasn't enough for you to just keep your head down and, and do what you were supposed to. You've got to literally come out and support these communist Marxist uh, ideology ideas or you know you're the problem and you need to be ridiculed and even you know jailed destroyed whatever it takes this it, when you ask what country this is and and i love your books and uh, including the most recent uh, brian i've just really enjoyed those being a history student uh, never stop but thank you for that but it brings these things back into focus can you imagine uh the guys that risked their lives to uh, burglarize a ship and throw tea overboard because they were mad, as, as uh, somebody said about uh, a little tax on Taxes. their breakfast drink, how they would react to what J- Governor Cuomo is doing. I mean, holy cow, they would never put up for, with this kind of garbage for a moment. They would demand their freedom from this kind of totalitarianism. It is insane. But here again, we come back. The biggest problems are the cities that are under control and have been under control of Democrat leadership for a good while. That's where the big problems right. and, are. 
I want to get to something else. Uh, of course, the Alamo. They were targeting the Alamo. We talked to George P. Bush oh, yeah. today. Uh, they actually sent out uh, the security forces to make sure the Alamo would not be targeted as it was threatened. Right. Uh, in over in San Antonio, they're going to re-expand that footprint. The cenotaph has also been graffiti was sprayed on it. They fixed yep. it, cleaned it. But I want to talk about the Michael Flynn case. Easy to get lost in the mix. Yes. You and others have, yes. fi- have filed an amicus brief. Tell us about that in layman's terms. Yeah, well... Uh, It's a friend of the court brief is all that is. And we were inspired to respond to the, quote, Watergate prosecutors, unquote. They they called themselves, we're the Watergate prosecutors. And this judge should disregard the motion to dismiss this thing by the Justice Department. And uh, Jerome Marcus is uh, the lawyer that did our our congressional a friend of the court brief, and he found a case from 1975, that the Cowan case, it was not cited by the Watergate prosecutors. And in that case, the Watergate prosecutors had filed a motion to dismiss, because this was not just to pursue this uh, individual, and the Fifth Circuit, oh, and then uh, the judge in that case said, no, I'm not going to dismiss this case. I want this pursued. And uh, what did the Watergate prosecutors do? They took it to the Fifth Circuit, Federal Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and demanded that uh, uh, the judge be ordered to dismiss it. And the Fifth Circuit came back and said, no, judge, you're a federal judge, but you had no authority to pick and choose which case, which things you follow when it comes to motions to dismiss by the prosecution. So you have no authority. So the hypocrisy of these Watergate prosecutors to come in and say, hey, judge, uh, don't let them dismiss it, exactly opposite of what the prosecute, uh, the Watergate prosecutors are. Where does it stand right back now? Back in, in right. 1975. So just hypocritical. These guys are dishonest in their brief. And, you know, really uh, what what Judge Sullivan and the Watergate prosecutors are saying is the executive branch, uh, the judicial branch has every right to second guess the executive branch when it comes to prosecution decisions. Well, what that means is Judge Sullivan thinks it'll be perfectly fine for prosecutors to start subpoenaing judges like him and finding out, well, who did you talk to about this? Uh, Did you have inappropriate contacts? How can we trust your decisions? I mean, once you blur that line between the Justice Department and the judges, as Sullivan is doing, former Watergate prosecutors are doing, then it leads to chaos. But it comes back to just pure hypocrisy. Where are we at right now with this case? Is going to find out some this week? Yeah, well, that's the hope. Uh, hopefully, the D.C. Circuit will come back with a decision this week or next so that uh, this case will, will be dismissed, just as the prosecution required it. Uh, but for the judge to participate in this ongoing uh, effort to bring down gotcha. an duly elected president is an outrage, and it's adding to the instability of this country. All right, Louis Gomer, Congressman from Texas, thanks so much.
Thank you for all you do, Brian. Thank you. You got it. Thanks. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We're going to back take your calls, find out if there's uh, more to know. And I think there is. Uh, There's a lot going on. We have not really talked about the outrage, which is this autonomous zone. You don't have to agree with me, but I tell you, in Nashville and Chicago, they pushed back hard to make sure they didn't end up with this blight in the middle of their city. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is the most beautiful thing. It's so, it's so hopeful. Uh, I've been in a lot of festivals around the world, and what I see is just something very similar, like love and giving and a self-organized uh, uh, policing and, and, um, and yeah, just, just, just a lot of good vibes, rainbows, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's really hopeful for me. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about these stupid uh, giveaways of seven blocks in a New York City street, which is thoroughly intolerable in in America, uh, to sacrifice, where Nashville, Chicago, and others have just said no. Portland said no, we're not doing it, uh, as well as Asheville. They tried to set this up across the country, then, but they're being hailed by, uh, by the local media as heroes. The Seattle... Uh, Seattle Times writes the guerrilla gardening and they write glowingly about the gardens they were able to plant uh, in and around. They talk about the tents that are popping up around the soccer fields. And this is how they say uh, Seattle Times pens the people who are running things. A group of Antifa and other anarchists are being reported by local media in glowing terms, they say. They penned a feature about the guerrilla gardening and the new communal efforts and there's no violence. When we sit there with video cameras, we see the violence. And they've taken over the police station. They don't want the cops going back in to get their own paperwork. A Seattle councilwoman wants to turn the police station at the center of the six-block autonomous zone place. She wants to turn it into a, quote, Our movement needs to urgently ensure the East Spring seat is not handed back to police, but is turned over permanently into community control. Community control of a police precinct. one 408 Seven six six nine. Let's go out to Ira. Listen on KDWN in Las Vegas. Ira. Good morning, Brian. How you doing? Great. What's on your mind? Hello. Uh, I just want to say I really respect you and uh, I think you have a common sense and a level head. I just want to talk to you for a few minutes. Maybe you can help me out. I'm getting to, I'm losing everything. Real quick. <laughs> we don't have Seattle. a few minutes. Just okay. Tell me, Seattle, tell me about Seattle. I don't understand people. I don't understand how people can take that stuff over. You know, and they say it's the right. How about the people who live there? Then the mayor says that the Trump brings in the the army is against the law. Well, those people are breaking the law. What is going on in our country? It's 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 uh, it's all backwards. The people that want to make a living there don't their rights matter? But instead, these um, these unemployed ex gamers feel as though they have a better idea to run a country than we do. Chad, Lucy on News 96.5 in Orlando. Chad. Hey, Brian. Love the show. 
two things. One on the Atlanta shooting. Uh, if anybody just follows us through, when that guy shot, he could have got those uh, those stunt tasers in his eyes and blinded him. And then once the cops on the ground quivering, he would have grabbed his gun, shot him in the head, and then shot the other cop to escape. And then in the Minneapolis thing. That cop knew that guy. They worked together. I think that was a personal vendetta against him that that cop did because they worked together at a bar, and he didn't like him personally. I don't know. I have no idea. He kept calling him sir. So why didn't he just call him by his first name if he knew him so well? I know CBS says they have a relationship. It doesn't matter. I mean, even if you, it makes it worse, actually. It makes it 100% worse. He actually knew the guy. And then you have the other three cops complicit in it. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Order Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers for Father's Day. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We've got a big hour coming away. We're going to be joined by New York Post's Michael Goodwin. Uh, we're going to be joined by New York Post's Michael Goodwin, and he's going to be, Michael Goodwin's going to be with us shortly. He's also a Fox News contributor. Also, we're going to talk to uh, Bernie Carrick. Uh, sadly, we have another big law enforcement story to discuss. And the law enforcement story is about a shooting that happened in Atlanta on Saturday night. Uh, a call went in to, uh, from a Wendy's restaurant, and they said there's a guy in a fast food lane. He's not moving, and he appears to be uh, inebriated. So the cops came. They talked to him for 30 minutes. They gave him a test, and reportedly he failed it. So when they went to put his cuffs on, he wrestled the both cops to the ground. He was able to grab a stun gun, and as he went to run away and turned around to shoot the stun gun at the officer, the officer said, that's a threat, I'm pulling out my gun, and shot him dead. Game on, here we go. Life and death, who's at fault? Cop fired, police chief fired, man dead. Father of at least one, and he was going out, I guess, for one day's on a Saturday night. That story, the president's also meeting with seniors in the, in the Oval Office today to talk about their main issue. The market is not having a good open. It was down as much as 600 points, now down at 446, of fears of a second wave. I don't feel that way. Larry Kudlow doesn't feel that way. But some nervous people on Wall Street feel that way. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The big question I have is, what was the serious offense of, of Victor Shokin? Why did the U.S. government come to the conclusion that he had to be fired and that resulted in a very serious threat on the part of Vice President Biden? It doesn't make any sense. And that is uh, Senator Ron Johnson, uh, the presidential politics. Guess who's getting a Ukraine problem? Guess who's emerging with one? Not Trump, but Joe Biden. The Dem, no uh, nominee, the Democratic nominee has a... Uh, a running mate issue as well. We're going to tell you about the Ukraine issue, the running mate issue, and how one might have just eliminated herself as four seem to have surfaced as leading contenders. And Donald Trump has a Sleepy Joe attack plan ready to roll out. Number two. Nobody is going to defund the police. We can restructure the police forces. So I wouldn't say defund, deconstruct our policing. 
Wow, James Clyburn, defunding, right? You might deny it, James Clyburn. You might deny it, Congressional Black Caucus, but it is everywhere with Elon Omar and Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and the autonomous zones. Is this any strategy to make America a safer place? It seems like a joke. It is the modern day Occupy Wall Street. Number one. There was no threat to this officer's life. There was no life extenuating circumstances. Mr. Brooks, he didn't just resist a lawful arrest. He did so violently. That is a completely different set of circumstances. And that is Al Sharpton and Mark Morgan. Two different views of the case I just described. Top of America's agenda, police reform. And now another killing with a policeman shooting a, uh, a man who had stolen his stun gun. This time, Atlanta ignites the debate and ignites the Wendy's, and we just accept it. With me right now is a man that saw up close and personal all the damage done by those rioters two weeks ago uh, in New York City and the daily protests that have taken place since. Michael Goodwin, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. Michael Goodwin, uh, instead of, before we get to your, your column, which talked about maybe the removal of Brad Parscale, uh, uh, the campaign manager, how it's like Hillary Clinton's, what about this shooting here? Well, it's obviously a complicated one, and I think that the uh, the reaction of the police commissioner, the police chief quitting, and the, cha- the, the talk of murder charges uh, against the policeman uh, shows you what this environment is doing. It's corrupting the decision-making, and it is, it is clearly a rush to judgment. I mean, I, I, as you describe it, as, as, as we've seen, the, you know, there is clearly a scuffle. Uh, the man is clearly resisting arrest. I mean, he takes a stun gun, he aims it. I mean, these are not the normal innocent man killed by police brutality stories. I mean, the sequence of events, uh, frankly, is is often the case in these police shootings. There's always some kind of scuffle, usually, or some resistance, and sometimes maybe it's not necessary to shoot. But, you know, you have to put yourself also, I think, in the mind of the policeman. Um, he, he is also human, and he is scared, and his heart is pounding. And, yes, there is training about restraint, but when you feel that your life is in danger, uh, any of us who have ever had that experience, I mean, i just tell you quickly, years ago the police invited some journalists to their, to their uh, shooting range in the Bronx, and they, and they do exercises there where they do this kind of training. And they had another journalist and I with, with uh, paint, paintball guns and vests, uh, we were supposed to go into what was described as an apartment. And the supervisors are looking down from a perch so they can see it's an open roof uh, practice area. And we are, we are told that there's a robbery in progress. And my partner and I are to go in down this long hallway into an apartment. And when we do, uh, as soon as we get to the door, Two men, a man emerges carrying a television set, clearly the sign of a robbery. And then suddenly behind him, another man appears and fires his gun. Um, you know, again, it's all, it's all an, a, a, a test, a training process. And so he fires his gun. I fire my gun several times, 
My partner who's behind me, another journalist, a friend of mine, she fires her gun and shoots me. And we all, afterwards, we realize, I mean, your heart is pounding. Even though you know this is a test, your heart is yep. like it's going to jump out of your out of your chest. Well, imagine the real thing. And I think that was the point of the exercise, for us to try to see what the police are experiencing and feeling, the haziness, the suddenness of it all. Uh, it's life or death, that feeling. And uh, so, look, I, I think when Rudy Giuliani was mayor, one of the things he did was he created this this idea. I mean, it wasn't new, but he brought it back, which is give the police the benefit of the doubt until we find the facts. And you'll notice that isn't happening now, and certainly it didn't happen in Atlanta. No, it hasn't. So let's fast forward to uh, Trump-Biden. Joe Biden is probably the worst candidate I have seen, most unworthy to run for president in quite some time. He is unable to put together a rally to gather support and momentum. But yet in almost every poll, he's leading the president in the battleground states as well as uh, nationally. And you think that, and your theory is, that Brad Parscale to this point has let the president down. Well, look, I think there are a lot of people in Trump world who believe that. A lot of insiders, I think the president is being told by a lot of people there's no message, uh, there's no consistency, no strategy. I'm not a I'm not a campaign expert. I don't know everything that Pascal and and the campaign team are doing, but I do believe that uh, campaign managers and staffers do not win or lose elections. Candidates do, and I think right now the biggest problem with the Trump campaign is the candidate. I think Donald Trump is underperforming. Uh, you see it not just in those polls that you mentioned, but you see it um, in the Gallup. Uh, his approval rating is down to 39%. In late April, it was 49%. Where did those 10 points go? Uh, I don't think Brad Pascal cost him 10 points. I think the president is doing this to himself. Now, granted, there's a lot going on in this country uh, from the pandemic itself, the economic shutdown, the, the, the protests, and which many of which turned violent into riots and looting. So there's a lot going on in the country. There's a deep sense of, of unsettled feelings and even very serious concern about the future of the country, like, like we're coming apart. Um, and as, as you say, Joe Biden is the worst candidate ever. You've got Terrible. Democrats who have who have cycled through, you know, um, uh, Russia, Russia, Russia to impeachment. Uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't close the border. I mean, it's one. And now it's defund the police. I mean, it's one bit of nonsense after another. And yet still, Joe Biden is leading. And so I don't think that's Brad Pascal. Not all of it, certainly. And I think the president needs to have a good look in the mirror and ask himself what he can do. Is it, is it him or is it Brad Pascal? Because it's easy to point the finger and to change the, well, they got change plenty the of leadership money. of the campaign. Yeah, they got plenty of money. They got a firm base, but the base is not enough to win. And I know that Kellyanne Conway and a lot of the female voices in the campaign are not being listened to. 
uh, because uh, Brad Parscale is bi- a big base oriented, as is the president. Here's Jonathan Swan's uh, breakdown of where the polls are and what the Trump team plans on doing. Cut 48. The polling obviously doesn't look good. It doesn't look good nationally. It doesn't look good in the key swing states. And they've seen a fairly significant drop off in support among independents. They've got the widest gender gap uh, with Joe Biden that we've seen, I think, since the advent of polling. It's about 25 percentage points the last time I checked. And they've seen these numbers move substantially as a as a correlation to President Trump's handling of these protests. Now, he does have a very solid base and he does have the economy. When you go into these polls, voters still by double digits uh, favor Donald Trump over Joe Biden, over who is best to handle the economy. So their comeback strategy is going to be squarely focused around the economy, squarely focused around a visual contrast with Joe Biden and President Trump being the candidate to reopen the country. So of the economy, that'll be it. Number two is, do you buy into that gender gap that he has just lost women to this point? Yes, and uh, I I would divide this into two areas, Brian. I I think the economy is clearly key. The James Carville line, it's the economy, stupid. It's still true. and so I think that, you know, obviously the unemployment rate fell in May to, you know, a little more than 13 uh, percent down from, you know, almost 15 before that. So you need a few more good months like that. There aren't many months left, but you need a few more good months, I think, to show real steady progress, which is why the president is so keen on reopening. You've got to get people back to work. You've got to see jobs starting up again. So my theory on this, it's just a round number, but you have to get the unemployment below 10 percent. Anything above 10 percent is very difficult to run on. Uh, the, the second thing I think this, with the women, uh, which I believe goes to the heart of some of the president's conduct. I mean, he's always fighting with somebody. And much of it, whether it's uh, Mattis, Colin Powell, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, Joe Scarbo, a lot of it feels personal. It doesn't feel presidential. And so it's like everybody in the world is no good except you. I mean, I just feel like it's not, it doesn't win friends. It, 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 It may excite the base, but you need to add to the base. The base is not enough. You need to reach the independent voters and the people who, don't forget, the president won a nice electoral college uh, margin the last time, but it was based on a very, very slender victory in a handful of states. So he's got to win every vote. He can't, he can't write off people because they're not part of the va- base. He's got to appeal to a broader range of people. And he's done that before. Uh, and he ha- but he's in one of those slumps where he's just you know, cranky and lashing right. out a lot. And look, I understand it. It's difficult. The press hates you. You have a lot of people who really want to put you in jail, not just to feed you, but lock you up. But nonetheless, you know, revenge would be winning, not just another nasty tweet at somebody. So, by the way, the Supreme Court just ruled in favor of California that the president cannot uh, round up uh, or put an end to sanctuary cities in America, which to me, it, I, I, it's unthinkable that they would rule this way. Only Justice Alito and Justice Thomas voted with the president. So California gets to be a haven 
for illegals. Unbelievable. Yeah, uh, Michael, look forward to your next column. And hopefully it's a wake-up call because I know the president really respects you. you. You've had a good relationship with him. And I'm sure that that article was put right in front of his desk when you wrote it. Thanks so much, Michael. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. All right, one 408 Your call's next. Listen, we all saw what happened in Atlanta. You know what's happening with this race. And when we come back, I'll tell you what Donald Trump plans on doing to Joe Biden beginning as early as today. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 We've got a few minutes here. I'd get as many calls as possible uh, in. We're also not only just talking about the election. We're also talking about what happened in Atlanta. We're talking about what type of law enforcement uh, reform you think people could get on board with. Nicholas, you're listening on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Nicholas. Hey, Brian. Just to touch on three very quick points. I would agree with you on police. I would say 99% of the time. I think in Atlanta, what the cop could have been different is they could have, the man was not driving the car. I understand maybe he was, but when the police arrived, he was not driving. They could have simply said, let's pull the car over and sleep in the back seat. The second quick point is the stock market, I think, might have to do with more with civil unrest than the coronavirus. And the third quick point is, on Biden, what I think what Republicans need to realize is I think why the Democrats love him and why he's doing so good in the polls is they don't want a strong president. They want the, the bureaucracy running the country, and they'll have that with they Biden. Do. So, they do. Rick, listen to online. You're, you're 100% right. Thanks for the call. Uh, thanks for the call. You, Nicholas, you're right. You might be right in the market. Uh, the Washington Post reports it's because of the fear of a second wave. Uh, Rick, listening online in College Station, Texas. Rick. Hey, Brian. Unfortunately, I woke up and became tremendously angered this morning as I watched network news. After watching the entire body cam video last night, even this radio station never mentioned the body cam video. And there are several points that are important to emphasize. The biggest one is it seems everyone is afraid to speak the truth against the lies because guess what's going to happen their house might get burned down they may lose their job you could lose lose your radio program so folks are being really emphatic when you hear them put on the anti-cop racist narrative in the morning and here's several points here um no no for one thing i don't know if you watched fox and friends this morning we did not have an anti-cop theme at all uh we played mark morgan we played bernie carrick Uh, We also had a reporter on the scene. The problem is he got shot in the back. What's for the officer is it was he uh, fearful for his life. That's where this whole thing is going to be turned on. It's going to be if you're threatened, you can shoot him. If you're not threatened, you got his stuff. You could let him go or chunt him down. We also heard a great call from West Virginia, a female police officer who said, I don't let criminals go. I run after him. And that mayor that said, just let him go. Uh, doesn't understand what it's like to be a police officer. It's a, it's a fascinating topic that plays right into the national debate. 
Stay right here. When we come back, Bernie Carrick joins us. This is not an anti-cop place at all. It's fair. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Bernie Curry and Pat Lynch is exactly why taxpayers have paid out over a billion dollars in police misconduct. There's no accountability. Did you hear what he said? He put all the emphasis on the untrained uh, civilian. Um, as a police officer, what I would like individuals to come and comply? Yes, I would. Who would? Who? What officer wouldn't? But that's why we as police officers have training, have policy, have procedures. That was Joel Elstead. He uh, wrote this story, called, uh, wrote a book called Police Brutality, former police officer. And he was responding to Bernie Carrick last night, the former commissioner of the NYPD, uh, who said that this, there's more to this case uh, than you would think. It's not just a matter of a police officer shooting a man running away. There's more to it. And joining us now is Bernie Carrick himself. Uh, Bernie, he's mad at you because you put too much, uh, you put too much responsibility on the, on, the, on the guy that was drunk. Listen, um, I, I'm not even sure who the guy, who, who this guy was. But it, here's here's the bottom line, Brian. First of all, I was very clear: don't speculate. Let's wait for an investigation. Number one. Number two, the attorneys uh, for the deceased family said that the cops uh, would have treated a white suspect better. That's what they said in their initial press conference. And in fact, when you look at the body cam footage that was released yesterday, I don't know what what more they could have done with this guy, how much better they could have treated him. He, they were professional. They were calm. They were courteous. They were, I, I don't know. I, I can't I can't identify anything more they could have done other than said, yeah, you're, you're drunk. Take your car and leave, leave on your own. Um, other than that, nothing, there was nothing wrong with this confrontation, this arrest, until they told him he was under arrest and they went to put handcuffs on him. And the second they did, he resisted, he attacked them, he assaulted them, and he disarmed them of a taser. A taser gives the officer the ability to destabilize someone, to incapacitate them. The cops know that. They know what it does. They know how it works. Because when they get trained with a taser, they actually have to take a hit from a taser. I've done that about, I don't know, 50 times. I was on the board of taser. I know what it's like to get hit with a taser. And if I'm a cop, somebody disarms me of my taser and has the ability to use it on me, there's only one thing I'm thinking, and that is, next stop, is they're going to get my gun? Because if I can't defend myself and I have a live firearm, that's what they're going to go for. So I'm, I'm pretty confident that's probably what was in that guy's head, that cop's head. But you know what? Wait till the investigation's concluded. That's what we should be doing. Now, my, my response to his statement about citizens don't have training, I don't give a damn if they have training or not. 
They, they know it's a crime to attack or assault the police. They know it's a crime to resist arrest, to obstruct in an investigation, to hit a cop with their car, to block vehicular traffic. They know these things are criminal and you shouldn't be doing them. But they're happening all over the country. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not as mad at them as these, these lunatics and people that attack the police as I am the public officials and these democratic progressive politicians that will not stand up in their communities and say, stop it. It's illegal. Do not attack the police. Don't assault the police. Don't resist arrest. Stop. Because if you do and you right. continue it, the cops are going to use force. This guy, Paul Howard, is the Fulton County District Attorney. Here's what he said, cut to. If that shot was fired for some reason other than to save that officer's life or to prevent injury to him or others, then that shooting is not justified under the law. And that's basically what you're saying, right? Okay, well, he just he just basically said the cop was justified right that that's kind of what he said but i i gotta i gotta i'll tell you brian i'm not too impressed with paul howard uh, th- this is a guy that's under investigation by the georgia bureau of investigation he's a, he's the same really? guy that charged cops in the use of a taser trying to get two people out of a car that were resisting arrest they used the taser he charged the cops so I'm, I'm not really impressed uh, by the DA there. I think he's he's just as political as the mayor who's cowering to the thugs. Uh, uh, here is the mayor uh, herself. I couldn't believe she said this. Cut three. This was not confrontational. This was a guy that you were rooting for. And even knowing the end, watching it, you're going, just let him go. Just let him go. Let him call somebody to pick him up. Okay. Uh, listen, listen, is this 1971 when it comes to DUIs? I mean, wasn't that the, the reason why we bent the curve on the DWIs is that's not allowed. I mean, you and I don't get that pass. We go, I go to no. jail. Well, nobody's supposed to get the pass. Nobody unless it's somebody that the politicians, these left-wing progressives, wants to victimize. Nobody gets a pass unless they want to victimize a thug. Don't tell me everybody was rooting for this guy. He assaulted two police officers. He attacked them. He disarmed them. Really? Is that the guy we're rooting for? No. This is lawless and insane. And you have a mayor, a mayor of Atlanta, saying that's the guy we're rooting for. That demonstrates why Atlanta has some of the highest crime rates, violent crime rates, murder rates, and all these Democratic leaders in these other cities around the country, whether it's Chicago, Baltimore, St. Louis, they have astronomical black-on-black crime, violent crime and murder numbers. Nobody's paying attention to that. You know what? This isn't about cops' interactions with blacks. This That is about blacks-on-blacks murdering each other, and those Democratic leaders not doing a damn thing about it. So I want to move on and talk about uh, these these autonomous zones that have cropped up in Seattle that will push back for now in Portland, Nashville and Chicago. And uh, the police chief made it clear last week this was not her decision. 
Here's what she says now on Face the Nation, cut 20. This is Carmen Best, cut. There are people who have um, occupied the area. Uh, My understanding is they've actually changed the name to the Capitol Hill occupied protest area. There are a lot of folks there, a lot of differing objectives and agendas uh, of people who have congregated into the area. Um, One of our real challenges there is trying to determine who is a leader or an influencer um, that seems to change uh, daily. Uh, I know that many of our city officials and others are trying to establish some sort of communication with someone who can um, give us some direction about what the intent is and how we might move forward. Commissioner Carrick, she gave up the precinct and is in trouble finding out what leader to negotiate to get her precinct back. What is going on here? Well, here's what's going on. I swear, when I'm listening to her, I'm thinking, okay, this sounds like a foreign nation, a terrorist group has taken over an embassy in a foreign country, and we're trying to build and, uh, and work out communications to negotiate the release of whoever's in there. That's the yeah. most obse- absurd. That's the most absurd statement from a public official I've heard, and I hate criticizing the police and the chiefs. That's insanity. I don't give a damn what their intent is. I don't care what they're doing there. I don't care what they want. I don't care what they think they deserve. They're violating the law. They're infringing on other people's human rights, civil rights, constitutional rights. They should be arrested and it should be stopped. You need to do there what we did in New York City with the Occupy Wall Street group. Maybe I can send Joe Esposito, the chief of the NYPD back then. I can send him out there. He'll show him how it's done. It gets done in about six hours. You tell them to move and disperse. If they don't, you lock them up, and you put every bit of that garbage they put there, throw it in the garbage, then it's over. Commissioner, I hate to tell you, but you wouldn't be able to do that if your mayor didn't let you. And their no, mayor's not letting them. I, listen, I agree. I agree. But here's here's what people have to here's what people have to think about. Politically, we have elections coming up. They ha- really have to start thinking: Are these the people you want in charge of your cities? Are these the people that you want victimizing the thugs in your communities and villainizing the cops? Are these the people that you want in charge that's going to basically give up? your communities to insanity is that what you want to live in well then you better make sure that the second amendment is intact with through all of this and these are the same people that want to take the second amendment same people that don't want the police but they have an armed encampment they have guys out there with ak ar-15s like really i mean americans better wake up because this is coming to your doorstep if you don't do something about about it And the only way to do it. Listen, in New York City, it's at our doorstep. It's right here. And this whole movement that Democrats like James Clyburn is a mature man. He has a a view. He knows you can't defund the police. He had basically really nice things to say. Uh, And I guess the leader of the Congressional Black Caucus, same thing. However, you cannot uh, you cannot tape over what other Democrats are saying. Eli Omar, take apart uh, the Minneapolis police. Right now, it is corrupt to the core, they say. Here's Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, New York, cut 35. 
what this movement is doing, first and foremost, it's important to note that this is directed at city councils and mayors. And so you should look to see if your city is having this conversation. Um, but first, and the, and the other question here too is, Evan, I think it's a valid question for people to ask, what should be our number one budget priority at all? Does any agency uh, deserve to be funded more than almost all the others for healthcare, housing and youth combined? Yes. So yeah, you get 6% of the budget in New York. Here's, here's the bottom line, Brian. You know, you could talk about hospitals and health and hospitals and children's centers and schools and, you know, we need new jobs and we need, you know, we need businesses. We don't have businesses in our community. Guess what? You're never going to have them. You're never going to have them because if people don't feel safe and secure. They're not going to your community to live, visit, work, or go to school. It's not happening. We know that from experience in New York. And the one thing that gets me, I've done this. All the things that these people are failing to do, I was involved in one of the greatest renaissances in U.S. history. We had a 63% reduction in overall violent crime and a 70% reduction in homicide and an 80% reduction in homicide in the communities of color. Saved thousands of black lives. Built businesses beyond anybody's comprehension. Highest tourism in U.S. history. Guess what? It's all going to go down the tubes when you have lawlessness and you have insanity in mayors and governors like we do today. So everything she just said is she's she's an idiot. Personally, this is my personal opinion. She is an idiot. She has no idea what she's talking about. And she wasn't around back in 1994 when we had 2200 homicides in New York City. So people really have to look at history. She is around when Governor Cuomo left 200 let 250 inmates uh, out of prison and they've been arrested 450 times since and this is a governor who is not telling the protesters to do anything except take a test but he's he's warning New Yorkers that if you continue to stand outside public restaurants and not keep your distance I am going to roll you back to the lockout to the lockdown yeah. How yeah, did well, in the Hamptons in New York City after a hundred plus days he still thinks he could tell us what to do? Yeah, well, listen, that's what hey Brian, listen, you've done specials on this stuff. That's what dictators do. That's what they do. That's what socialists and communists do. They take your weapons. They take your freedom. They take your speech. They take everything from you, and then they control you. That's what's happening. And I got news I for mean, you, Commissioner. I know up. you know this, but my town on Long Island has a gun shop, and it's been there for 50 years. It was, in fact, it was where the first terrorist that shot uh, Kahani bought their weapons, according to John right. Miller. That line has not gone down. Outside the gun shop, people are lined up to buy guns. They see they what's going be. on. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just telling you what I'm seeing. Well, listen, yeah, but what you're seeing, Brian, in your town is happening all over this country because people, they're scared to death. They're scared to death because they're watching governors and mayors give in to thugs. They're watching governors and mayors that don't give a damn about their communities. 
Well, thanks so much, uh, Commissioner. Appreciate your insight, especially now. Uh, law enforcement front and center. We need someone that actually d- does it for a living, not politicians who think they know what they're talking about. Bernie Carrick, thank you so much. Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 866 Now, give you a lot to think about, a lot to discuss, no wrong answers. I just want to know what's on your mind. You're next. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. one 408 7669 Always appreciate Commissioner Carrick. You can see how exercised he is because he knows there's a right way to do things. Rusty, listen to WHIO in Ohio. Hey, Rusty. Hey, hello there, Brian. What's on your mind? Well, I just wanted to comment on these uh, Floyd and Brooks cases. Go ahead. Uh, I believe definitely both of these men should have been apprehended for their offenses. It's my problem is with the amount of deadly force and lethal tactics that these officers use. They couldn't discern for themselves and think with a clear head in the moment of just how much force these offenses required. You know, this was Wild West Frontier Justice in the Brooks case. You know, sure, the, the guy fired his non-lethal uh uh, weapon, you know, backwards at the officer, you know, but that officer fleeting you, moment, you know, he, he could have, you know, shot. But Rusty, Rusty, uh, Rusty, I understand what you're saying, but you have to understand, too, the type of stun gun hooks you, shocks you. The guy has already overpowered two of these guys. So in the split second, he took aim. A white cop and a black assailant. But I don't know if race figured into this. Jacob, listen, uh, listening on the TuneIn app in Illinois. Jacob, Atlanta. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I also don't think that race played an issue into this. I, I honestly don't think police brutality played uh, played anything into this either. Uh, I mean, the, before the before the scuffle even happened, the moment those cuffs were going on, that dude's life was over for a long time based on his license being gone, based on the thousands of dollars that he's got to use. So, I mean, the moment he went into fight-or-flight mode, the cop went into fight-or-flight mode, they both started scrambling, shit went sour. Again, I'm a, I'm a progressive. I like Bernie Sanders. But you got to understand what these cops are doing. Uh, they're not doing it for the money. We, at the very least, got to give him due process, this entire process. I'm Brian Kilmeade. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Order the podcast, briankilmeadeshow.com. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. What an embarrassment what's going on in Seattle. Uh, unbelievable. These amount of protests that are happening around this country. 
where people just are clueless about law enforcement, the challenges they have. You want to make it better, that's great. But just go ahead and screaming at the top of your lungs and knocking down statues and uh, attacking our past, attacking attacking law enforcement. I just kind of wonder, do anybody have jobs? That's kind of an interesting thought. I just hit my... uh, That's got to lower that a little. 1-866-408-7669. You know, the president today is going to host a roundtable to help uh, to talk about seniors. He's also worried about his re-election there. Seems to be losing a little of that vote. The president will also announce uh, his task force about law enforcement on Wednesday. On Thursday, he's going to look into rural broadband, part of an infrastructure plan. And on Saturday, he's going to be going back to his rallies, where we're told there's been 800,000 requests for for about 18,000 seats in an arena where everyone's going to be signing to say, hey, I release the campaign for any responsibility should you get the coronavirus. You just watch. The whole theory will be how irresponsible the president is to have a major event in the era of the coronavirus. I don't feel that way. The president has already waited over 100 days as all of us to get back to our lives. We watch some major protests happen in the streets where everything's been wrecked. You watch uh, businesses have been destroyed, maybe never to come back. Not many people cared about the coronavirus spread then. Now, all of a sudden, when the president's got something going, that's the issue. So uh, a little bit of hypocrisy there. And we'll discuss that. I got uh, Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. And I have uh, Charles Payne on the economy. The market's down 278 points right now. It was down as much as 600. So little by little, they're pushing our way back. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The big question I have is, what was the serious offense of of Victor Shokin? Why did the U.S. government come to the conclusion that he had to be fired and that resulted in a very serious threat on the part of Vice President Biden? It doesn't make any sense. And that is a little of the Ukraine problem that Joe Biden has. Presidential politics. Yeah, he's got the Ukraine problem, but it's not coming from Rudy Giuliani this time. It is coming from the two leaders, one former and one current leader of the Ukraine. One, Zelensky, is criticizing Poroshenko, saying, why were you dealing with Joe Biden? Why didn't you care what Joe Biden thought? And why did you fire a prosecutor because you told him to? I'm sitting there saying, well, where did that come from? Meanwhile, uh, Joe Biden, who's probably the worst candidate I have seen in modern times, at 77, he might as well be 97. His uh, intellectual deficits are apparent, but yet he leads President Trump by at least 10 points nationally. Well, Trump's got a plan. We'll talk about it. Number two. Nobody is going to defund the police. We can restructure the police forces. So I wouldn't say defund, deconstruct our policing. Uh, defunding the police, supporting autonomous zones. Not every Democrat, but a lot of them do both. Both issues are Democratic issues. They will divide the Democrats on this. The president would be in the right to point this out and not to being criticized for saying it's hyperbole. Just because Joe Biden hasn't signed on to it doesn't mean his advisors have not. Number one. There was no threat to this officer's life. There was no life extenuating circumstances. Mr. Brooks, he didn't just resist a lawful arrest. He did so violently. That is a completely different set of circumstances. Then what happened in Minneapolis? Top of America's agenda police reform. 
as legislation takes shape as another police shooting and killing this weekend, this time in Atlanta, ignites a pretty intense debate, a pretty big crowd. Uh, We'll talk about what's destabilizing and how this plays in to uh, the record and the reform. Now, keep in mind, if you didn't miss, if you missed what happened on Saturday, uh, Rashard Brooks was shot dead in the back as he ran from police. That's on the surface, a white cop shooting a black suspect. Now, let's break it down. Wendy's officials, manager, called the cops saying a guy fell asleep in the drive through lane. He's blocking it. He's not moving. They came down. They pulled him out. They talked to him for about a half hour. They gave him a breathalyzer. They said he tested positive. He has uh, gone over the limit for drunk, uh, for drunk driving. They go to arrest him. Everything's calm until they go to put the cuffs on, and he goes and runs for it. Re- out-wrestles two cops. The cops uh, uh, were not only out-wrestled, they were able to get the stun gun off the cop, and they started running. The cops started pursuing. When he turned around and pointed at him, maybe even shot it at him twice, the third time he took out his gun, and he shot him. Every Almost every Atlanta official comes out against the cop. They fire the cop. They fire the police chief, who said he re- she retired. I doubt it. Listen to what Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms said. Cut three. This was not confrontational. This was a guy that you were rooting for. And even knowing the end, watching it, you're going, just let him go. Just let him go. Let him call somebody to pick him up. Hey, by the way, how many people have been pulled over for DUI and would say, I just like someone to pick me up. I made a mistake. Almost everybody. And guess how many get to do that? Almost none. That statement from a mayor whose first obligation is to make sure drunk drivers are one of the first obligations to make sure drunk drivers are off the road so they're not killing somebody else is an irresponsible statement, to say the least. Tamika Miller, Rashad Brooks's wife, obviously upset. Cut one. I want them to go to jail. I want them to deal with the same thing as if it was my husband who killed someone else. If it was my husband who shot them, he would be in jail. He would be doing a life sentence. They need to be put away. I can understand the emotion, but then there's police, there's a legal process. Wednesday, they're going to decide whether to charge him with murder and then what degree of murder to charge him. I fully expect it because of fear of civil unrest. But if you look at this case, I mean, don't, Uh, police officers deserve due process, especially in a case like this, when they're on the line with this type of scrutiny. I think that at the very least, he's got a solid case going forward. Now, Mark Morgan is somebody that was a police officer for a while, worked for Border Patrol for a while, worked for two administrations, and also feels as though there was just cause there because you get hit by a tase. And you get stopped. This guy's already shown that he could be violent in breaking away. And he believes that there's an issue with that. Here is Mark Morgan talking about this incident as he saw it. Mr. Brooks, he didn't just resist a lawful arrest. He did so violently. He fought with the police again and again. He took their weapon, one of their weapons, and tried to use it against him. That is a completely different set of circumstances. Then what we witnessed last week in Minneapolis and what Bernie Carrick told us last hour, too, and mentioned on Fox last night, that this is a different set of circumstances and there needs to be uh, some due process for the cop. And by the way, there's 35 
officers in Seattle just have resigned their position after the autonomous zone was established and a police chief was forced to give up the precinct. At least nine have given up being a cop in Minneapolis. Maybe you're happy about that. I don't know how many of those nine are good cops. Usually the good ones walk away when they realize they're not going to be respected. Here's Bernie Carrick, Cut 13. Those cops couldn't have been more calm. They couldn't have been more professional. They couldn't have been more at ease. And the second they went to arrest him and put him in handcuffs, he began resisting. And that, that is a, that's a big part of this problem because they're going to respond with force. People have said that a taser is not a deadly weapon. It's not deadly force, except there's a problem. When you take a police officer's weapon and you attempt to destabilize him or to incapacitate him, especially with a taser, if you hit a cop with a taser, it's going to knock him down. It's going to put him in a position where he can't respond and he has a sidearm on. Bottom line is, as wrong as Derek Chauvin, the police officer, was in killing George Floyd, but on fentanyl, phony 20, who knows what else is going on there, breaking the law. Here, breaking the law again. And now there's mass protests, white and blacks, and everyone saying America systematically is racist, and the chickens have come down to roost. Bob Woodson, uh, Mark Levin, I thought had a great point the other day. He's the president and founder of the Woodson Center. He talked about blacks, um, blacks in America today. Cut 27. And so one of the ways that they can avoid, those leaders can avoid explaining to the public the cause of this decline, they use race as a ruse uh, to, to deflect attention away from their failures. And as a consequence, uh, you see the kind of chaos that exists in these communities. They also make the false claim that the problems of unemployment, that out-of-wedlock births and crime is somehow associated with this country's legacy of slavery and discrimination. That's another lie. And, 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 so, and so in order to challenge it, we cannot challenge it with an argument. We challenge it with alternative narrative. We go back and we say to the public, to say blacks, your fate is never determined by what white America does or does not do. It has never been. And that's Bob Woodson. And I think we need to hear more from people like that, uh, from Colonel Allen West, as well as to the other side, that people feel systematically it's impossible for me to be successful. When we come back, uh, I'm going to be talking to Charles Payne about that and so much more. We're going to be talking about the economy right now. The market's down just 236 points. There's going to be a rally, we know, in Atlanta today after the shooting on Saturday. We also know that there'll be rallies across the country for George Floyd and everything else. They have been um, pretty much consistent in many different cities across the country. I still don't know what it, they want. Where's the Martin Luther King, the Malcolm X, even the Al Sharpton saying, these are the changes I'd like. We'll discuss that, and it's got to be more than law enforcement when we come back on the Monday edition of The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
we can get to the protesting and rioting in, in a moment. I think that's a separate issue, a very, very important issue, but a separate issue. Look, I think that the economy is in recovery mode right now. I think the bottom of the recession uh, really was a pandemic contraction, not a typical recession. You know, this is like a, a, an act of nature, like a bad hurricane or a terrible snowstorm. It will pass. It hurts. There's hardship uh, and heartbreak as it hits. But when it passes, you get a V-shaped recovery. I think that's where we're headed for. National Economics Advisor uh, Larry Kudlow uh, weighing in earlier today on the state of the economy and uh, the fear of a second wave. Uh, there are increases in some states and there are decreases in uh, other states and there are flat in about eight states. Uh, but the market re- responding negatively now down 320 points. Charles Payne joins us now from Fox Business. Charles, is the market was down as many as 600. I got a couple of calls saying it's not because of that. It's the civil unrest that's hurting the market. What do you think's hurt, hurting right now? stocks? Uh, I, I think what's hurting it the most is that it came too far too fast. Um, you know, I, I don't think people appreciate that we had the best 60-day rally in, in the history of the stock market. <laughs> the absolute best 60 days. 46% on all your major indices went up it's from March 23rd to the middle of last week. Just beyond mind-boggling. And the backdrop of a pandemic. So we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. And then there were other things. Uh, you know, the civil unrest doesn't help. I, I, I think the, the Wall Street is overplaying. And when I say Wall Street, not the market, but the talking heads are overplaying the, the uh, pandemic thing. You know, we, we talk about the stock market as this amazing vehicle that's so amazing. It can tell you what's going to happen in six months and a year from now. And yet, you know, the narrative sometimes make it seem like it's the dumbest thing out there. I mean, everyone knows uh, as you reopen states, there will be an uptick in cases. The most important thing is that we don't lock down this country again. So uh, I think that's a headline driven driven by, you know, Bloomberg, the terminal that everyone else picked up on. Uh, I think the Federal Reserve is more of, a, of an issue. You know, listening to your soundbite with Larry Cutlow, he equated this to a natural disaster. Here's the thing, though. After natural disasters, uh, you've got all kinds of federal, state, local, FEMA. They come in, and they don't leave until things have gotten better. Wall Street's a little anxious right now. It feels like the Federal Reserve is ready to take a victory lap. Uh, they had a meeting on last Wednesday. Jay Powell, if you notice that when Jay Powell spoke Wednesday, 2.15, the market went down. The Dow went down 340 points that day. The next day it was down 1,800 points. They feel like they're walking away, maybe not going to be accommodative. And then in Washington, D.C., you've got, you know, this, this, the typical scuffle over what the next package should look like. It feels like, oh, you know what, uh, the unemployment benefits don't expire until July 31st. It feels like Washington, D.C. is going to blow this. So there's a growing anxiety that – could you imagine FEMA a month after Katrina saying, yeah, we, we, we might leave next month? Right. So there's a lot of factors. Uh, but I think the whole notion of a spike in COVID cases, oh, a spike in Arkansas is going to offset opening up New York State. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't. And uh, people will never do this again. Governor Cuomo does not understand there's limits to his power. And we bought into it the first time because we had no choice. He can't do what he's about, what he's proclaiming he's about to do. Listen to this. Cut 52. I am warning today, in a nice way, consequences of your actions. We have 25,000 complaints statewide. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to them. If we have to close 
then people are going to hold you accountable. I'm going to reverse it in those areas where, that are not in compliance with the rules. And I'm going to reverse it in those areas where those local governments did not comply with the law. So let's get this straight. Those protesters complied with the law? Really? <laughs> they, I, he just said, do me a favor, get a test. Now he's yelling yeah. at people for standing outside, Charles, having a drink and talking to somebody. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what's interesting though that he what he said is that he would he would close it in certain areas, right? And this has been my problem, particularly in New York City. Uh, it, they have a de facto travel ban in New York City. If you look at the data over the last six weeks, seven weeks, and you take you know, and, I, and what I've been studying, and I what I really have watched every single day is my old neighborhood in the Bronx near Fordham Hills, Kingsbridge, and in Greenwich Village, where NYU says they're going to open it, reopen their school. And in the last six weeks, there's only been two extra deaths in Greenwich Village, maybe a couple extra cases. And I feel like the, this whole thing has been about protecting Manhattan, protecting the elites in New York City and the travel ban on the outer boroughs. Uh, you know, the same kind of thing that we've heard, the critiques of a President Trump, we see them happening. And it's in New York and it's in San Francisco and it's in Los Angeles and it's in Seattle. It's really amazing when you really zero in on what's happening. So now the, now the governor's saying he could cherry pick certain places to close, and yet they should have been cherry-picking certain places to open a long time ago. And now these hand-fisted threats, are you kidding me? Bar owners, restaurant owners are hanging by a thread, and you're threatening them? Stop. And, and health clubs are dying because they can't reopen right now. 22 states increasing, 20 states decreasing, 8 states are level, hospitalizations flat. Charles, we'll, listen, we'll watch it today on the Fox Business Network all over all over the place. Always appreciate your insight. You too, buddy. Thanks, man. You got it. We come back, 1-866-408-7669. Brett Barrow, join us, and then we end with your calls. A lot going on today. Don't go anywhere else. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Uh, I wish I had the answer to how long it might last. I can tell you that we want to move it forward as uh, quickly and efficiently as possible. Um, but my concern as a police chief, besides the, that I want to be back in our precinct doing the work, is that we don't want to... We don't want anyone there to be harmed. Uh, we don't want this to be uh, something that devolves into a um, forced situation. So we're really trying to take a methodical, practical approach to reach a, a resolution where everyone gets out of here uh, safely. But you believe it's peaceful, just to be clear. Uh, for the time being, yes, okay. it is. Uh, that is Chief Carmen Best uh, of Seattle PD, uh, talking about maybe to find an influencer or a leader that they negotiate to get their police precinct back. How pathetic is this? Uh, there is an autonomous zone. They rename themselves every day. They're growing their own food. They have a garden. They now have tents up around a soccer field. And they started one in Portland. They tried to start one in Nashville. They tried to start one in Chicago. And quickly, authorities moved in to make sure it wasn't replicated. How big a deal is this? Let's bring in Brett Baer. He's getting set to host his show at 6 o'clock tonight. 
uh, special report. Hey, Brett, how big a deal is this autonomous zone? Yeah, it's a big deal. You know, listen, if um, if this happened in every big city around America and it was allowed to happen, uh, it would be a major problem. And uh, the fact that it's lasted this long in Seattle is interesting. Um, you know, you've heard the president weigh in on it. Um, the state and local officials are clearly doing something different as far as their approach to it. And um I just don't think it could stand, and it's not being allowed to stand in some of these other big cities. And Brett, you know, for you know, Clyburn and company say, you know, we don't want to defund, uh, we don't want to defund the police, and and they, you know, these autonomous zones aren't necessarily democratic policy, but they're democratic cities. They're not been condemned at all by Democrats. They've been condemned by Republicans. The Democrats have a divisive issue they got to handle. They can't keep ignoring it. Well, no, I mean. You're either pro-Chaz or you're against it. You're either pro the ability to take over six blocks of uh, downtown city or you're against it. I mean, I I think it's gotten dry. I'm not sure there's a lot of nuance there. Um, But they are going to have to deal with this when it comes to an election um, because I doubt this is going away in five months uh, as far as the sentiment and the the situation. You know, we remember we saw Occupy Wall Street and that some people predicted this was going to last forever. It didn't. Um, this feels a little bit different and it feels a little bit uh, more permanent. Yeah, I mean, they had a bad guy. It was Wall Street. They thought Wall Street defrauded the, the government and we we're paying the price. And there was some animus and, and even there was some people that could say, listen, I understand their frustration. You know, 60 percent of the, you know, the fact that the banks got bailed out, there was there was something there. But they're basically these people basically compare, complaining about the country. They're not saying we're, we're tired of that conservative leader. They have a left wing mayor who thinks it's going to be a summer of love. So who are they complaining about? They want to form their they want to secede. Yeah, basically. And, um, you know, I, I just don't think that as an issue, this is going to be easy to handle for especially moderate Democrats in some of these states that um, that Donald Trump won. I think it's going to be a tough thing to juggle, and they're going to have to figure out an answer that, um, that allows them to tap into the, the power and the passion of the progressive side, but also not the craziness of taking over six blocks of a city. We're watching uh, Rayshard Brooks's wife speak uh, and the family speak out about the death of uh, Rayshard on Saturday night when he was shot while running away from police while turning around shooting the, a police officer's uh, stun gun. So this is not a situation on first blush. They said, OK, here we go again. But there's been pushback from law enforcement saying this might have been justified because you're allowed to shoot somebody in the back if you feel as though you're threatened. We might be getting down to the fact that this was a uh, this was a stun gun and and how how lethal stun guns can be. Here's Mark Morgan. Cut 10. Mr. Brooks, he didn't just resist a lawful arrest. He did so violently. He fought with the police again and again. He took their weapon, one of their weapons and tried to use it against him. That is a completely different set of circumstances. So. Where's this going? Is this, this this police officer will find out by Wednesday, they think, if he's going to be charged with murder, any degree. 
I mean, you're going to have it. It's going to be tough to recruit people to be police officers. Uh, if you take away the immunity, if you take away uh, the ability to defend yourself, if a situation develops. Now, I don't know. I haven't seen any video. I haven't seen this exact incident. But in incidents like uh, someone grabbing something and running away or looking like they're shooting or possibly reaching for a gun, I mean, there are all kinds of iterations. And this is why it's kind of laid out. Uh, they they make exactly the case. But, but eventually, you're going to have police officers saying, forget it. If you're not going to value what I do, I'm not going to do it. And now you have Clyburn saying we want to restructure. My feeling is something's going to emerge between Republicans and Democrats out of Congress. We know that Tim Scott's working on the Senate version. Nancy Pelosi is supervising and overseeing what the Congressional Black Caucus is producing. Does law enforcement have a seat at the table? I think Tim Scott has talked about that. Um, they obviously should. Uh, and you, you listen to some of these very passionate guys that feel like they're getting scapegoated uh, and put into a, a bucket about uh, about bad cops. Uh, listen, it's a problem. You can't have those bad apples. Um, but as far as the issue, uh, you know, in every police unit, uh, suddenly you run into a problem if uh, they have a problem putting people on the street or there are places that they don't want to go. And I think that's the balancing act that we're we're dealing with as a country. And whatever this legislation looks like, it's going to have to balance the concerns of the police officer as well as the legitimate frustration and anger and fear of some of these communities. Hey, Brett, in, in my view, a lot of these politicians have been exposed their concern about the pandemic, the concern to shut down the country because this is going to, it's killed 100,000 people and that's real. But the way we react to shutting everything down and keeping the social distances, we've got to keep the hospital beds open, we've got to have the number of tracers. And then the protests start. And those same politicians do nothing but support the protests. They don't even talk about the social distancing. In fact, Governor Cuomo just said, I recommend you get a test after you protest. At the same time, verbally beating up on parts of New York and the Hamptons for what he says is irresponsible behavior. And now they want to beat up on the president for going to a rally on Saturday, which I think it'll be the pure focus on Saturday, not the protests that took, took root two weeks ago. How do you think this is going to play out as he moved his event now to June, uh, June 20th? Yeah, I, well, I, listen, that's going to be a focus. Um, it's going to be they, their argument, the supporters of the protest was that this is organic and it just happened, and um, that's a scheduled rally. Either one is a gathering of a lot of people, and the coverage of it is just purely, I mean, some of it is laughable, the one side and the other side about, you know, how they cover it or how they talk about it. Um I think that both potentially are a problem if there is a second wave of of COVID and, and if we're seeing that um, and or it's the end of the first wave, whatever you want to say. Uh, I think that um, you've got a situation that the country's still getting through this. And, you know, it's it's kind of silly to go say the protests are fine, but the rallies are, are not fine. Both might not be fine. Brian, but 
the, to cover them fairly, you got to cover them the same. Right, which you guys do, uh, and we do. So, uh, Brett, just looking at the presidential race, uh, I watched Reed Michael Goodwin today, who's got pretty good sources within the administration. There's some unrest with the way Brad Parscale is running the campaign. I actually can't see the fault in it, because it's really garnered mostly, for the most part, on what's going on in the world, and how the president's handling it. It's not going to be a catchphrase. Do you sense people are... Um, are arguing within the Trump team about the direction to go to close the gap with Joe Biden? I think there's a strategy. They're trying to come up with uh, the strategy. I mean, the president, let's be honest, has stepped on it himself. I mean, he's, he's by some of the tweets, by some of the things he said, he's created his own problems. But there is a lot of time. And one thing Brad Perscale has done well is raise money. I mean, fourteen yep. million just on the president's birthday the other day, and um, yesterday, and and I think, you know, you look at a, a war chest. Uh, that's something that you have to figure in to all of the polling too. Uh, here's Jonathan Swan on the tr- uh, how the Trump team is handling trailing. Cut forty-eight. The polling obviously doesn't look good. It doesn't look good nationally. It doesn't look good in the key swing states, and they've seen. A fairly significant drop-off in support among independents. They've got the widest gender gap uh, with Joe Biden that we've seen, I think, since the advent of polling. It's about 25 percentage points the last time I checked. And they've seen these numbers move substantially as as a correlation to President Trump's handling of these protests. Now, he does have a very solid base and he does have the economy. When you go into these polls, voters still by double digits uh, favor Donald Trump over Joe Biden over who is best to handle the economy. So their comeback strategy is going to be squarely focused around the economy, squarely focused around a visual contrast with Joe Biden and President Trump being the candidate to reopen the country. So the economy is where their advantage is. And every time Joe Biden speaks, they're going to say, how could he be the agent of change? He's been there 40 years. He hasn't done anything. And they're going to play back some of his old clips from the 90s, which don't resonate in 2020 when it comes to cracking down on crime. Uh, might that close the gap? I mean, listen, I Yeah, I think, yeah, I think we're uh, losing bread right now. But in terms of closing the gap... He's basically double figures and nationally. Michigan also double figures. That's the problem. He feels as though he can get his seniors back, but has lost a little of that when the pandemic took place. But, Brad, I'll pose the question to you again. We missed it. Uh, can, he get, can he close that gap by pointing out yeah. that Joe Biden's been around and what he's done? Yeah, I think he can, Brian. I mean, it's, listen, there's a lot of time, as we said, uh, how people feel about the economy by the time they get to Election Day is going to be the difference. And, um, and you know, there's a lot of time to make the case about, you know, the ability of the Trump team to turn around the economy and, and rev up the engine like they did pre-COVID. And, uh, you know, it just depends on where things are by the time you get to November. Uh, people forget that, you know, I mean, we're in June. Usually these races don't start until September. Um, I think this one, because of the extenuating circumstances, obviously has been affected by these crises. But there is still time for this thing to really 
get tight. I think if the election were held today, just b- judging by the polls being as wide as they are, um, I, I think it would lean towards Biden, but it's still going to be close. Absolutely. Uh, Brett, do you have your picture panel tonight? Tonight we got Britt Hume, Mara Lyson, and Chris Starwalt. So uh, that's my panel, and we'll see if I can get them to talk about some things. All right, see if you can do it. Brett Bear, have a great show. Thanks so much. We'll see you, man. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, right now, the, the widow of the uh, Richard Brooks is speaking now, Tamika Miller. Uh, obviously, there's a the lawyer there. There's an there's the extended family there. And they're talking about the circumstances and the death of Ray Shard and what it is going to mean for the charges possibly against the police officer. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. we got all the breaking news and analysis right here. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, Daryl is listening on News 96.5 in Orlando. Hey, Daryl, you're on. Hey, thanks, Brian. Hey, the reason I believe the um, the Brooks case is is at an uproar is because the day before, on that Friday, another situation with a stun gun happened, and the gentleman was subdued peacefully, although he pointed the stun gun at the officers, at paramedics, and at the backup officers also. So that's why everyone is in, screaming. In Atlanta, compassion should have taken place. No, that was in Wichita. There was okay. an instance, another another um, instance in Wichita, where there was a white suspect, and this just happened to be a black suspect in Atlanta. But they ended differently. The black suspect dead. The white suspect was arrested. So that's where you hear a lot of people saying compassion should have taken place in Atlanta, just as it was in Wichita. That's a lot of people aren't saying the name Wichita, but that's what they're referring to. The officer in Atlanta so did you, everything right in the beginning. He peacefully awakened the, the um, drunken assailant, and he talked with him. Everything was calm. Now, prior to the arrest, I don't know what started the agitation. Um, however, what the officer did in the beginning was 100% textbook perfect. And that's what um, we should be talking about. That's how you apprehend someone. That's how you should do it. Now, I know he, the, the guy got away, ran with the stun gun, fired it backwards. He didn't hit the officer. The officer, in my opinion, should have used better judgment and not fired. It's his pistol, especially in the back. The guy was no, he wasn't a danger. And he knew that he wasn't a danger from the beginning when he peacefully talked to the guy and got him out of the car. But an officer's job is a very hard job, and split split decisions is it really is life or death. I do understand that. Thanks, Darnell. Appreciate it, Jake. W H I O in Ohio, Jake. All right, let's move on to Don W B R P in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Don. Hey, how are you, Brian? Today. Hello. What's on your mind? Uh, I was just calling for a couple things. The first thing is, is I, I think uh, where America's going wrong with all of this police brutality stuff and the stuff that happened in Atlanta, in Seattle, in Minneapolis, and so on, 
the, the moral of the, the story is, uh, when has it been okay for people to stop listening to orders that a police officer makes? That's, that's the first thing. Because going back years from now, I'm, I'm an ex-military person from in the 80s and, and 90s, uh, and my father was a police officer, my brother, my grandfather. I'm not. But the deal is, is they've always told me is when the public goes rogue and says the things that they're saying right now, from the Democratic Party down, mayors, governors, so on, that's the, the part of the problem. Looking back years from now, I remember a couple of years ago in Dallas, Texas, that I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The moral of the story is, is, is they get pulled over for a, for a traffic incident. When is it okay for you not to listen to police officers? I hear you. Thanks so much. In Minneapolis, they weren't listening. A thousand commercial properties destroyed. Fifty-two businesses will never come back, just to name some. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.